Chris, I'm just back from health in Viva Las Vegas. Over under, how much time is the right amount of time to spend in Las Vegas, Nevada? I've spent time typically with conferences. I've gone there. I find it to be more successful if you tag those couple of fun days in Vegas before the conference, because by the time you get to the end of the conference, you're worn out. What's your over under though? Like 48 hours. And it's not because I'm a big gambler or anything like that. It's just, it's a lot, man. Uh, Maybe I'm just old. I've gotten to a place where I've aged out of Vegas, maybe. Well, I think you age back in when you become retired. I just knew that, you know, maybe this wasn't for me when I felt the most enjoyable time of the day was. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 353. Is that the same forward and backwards? Is that a thing? Yeah, it's a palindromic number. Yeah, absolutely. Palindromic number. Okay. And one you could bet on, I would imagine, if you're in Vegas. Yeah, put all your money on 353. I don't know what that would be. I feel like that's uh, some sort of a slot machine game. Um, well, what's the one where you like pick the ca- the number uh, the the cases with the numbers on them or uh, deal or not I don't know. deal or whatever? <clears throat> yeah, deal or no deal. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know where 353 comes into play. Roulette doesn't go that high. I don't guess, but <laughs> do that with what you will. Well, Chris, Reed, we are super glad that you're back for uh, another episode of Touchpoint. We certainly appreciate the uh, support. It's always great to have folks reach out. Best way to do that is LinkedIn. I've heard from you know being at several conferences and running into people in person. People are always very nice to to mention uh, the podcast and say that they listen and things like that. So that's awesome. If you don't see us in person, though, however, LinkedIn really is probably the best way to do that. So would love love any feedback, thoughts, ideas, people we should have on topics we should cover, all that kind of fun stuff. Touchpoint.health is the website. Quick plug for that. While you're there, you'll see something called the TPS report. We mention this every week, but if you'll drop your name and email address there, that'll get you uh, an email each Monday morning with five articles to kick off your week, hopefully a little value add. So we'll pause here for a second and uh, let you do that and then be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint. 
where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. For today's show, I mean, not wholly different necessarily, but I've been thinking a little bit. We've talked some about innovation here recently on the show. And of course, I have that as a little bit of uh, my responsibility here that topically, I guess, I'm, I'm part of that group. And I started thinking about what else as I've restructured uh, my team and, and it's kind of as we're thinking about the world. Some other things that have been, you know, formalized that are maybe a little bit different. And, you know, we're talking, people could see the the title certainly, but we're talking about consumer experience. And no, that's not new as a topic per se, but it's probably fair. I love your thoughts on this. It's probably fair to say that that's everyone's job. And also that's a little bit of a cop out at the same time. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. It's everybody's job, patient experience, consumer experience, but also everybody with it being their job, you know, there were a number of people kind of doing this off the side of their desk, as people like to say. And so we, we did, we formalized that it's, it's underneath my org and you know, have somebody that's, that's the head of consumer experience. And so again, not that other people aren't still involved from all over the organization, they certainly are, but you know, starting to kind of formalize that. But I, how are you seeing that? Does that resonate or does that seem familiar it does seem like something that needs to happen, right? Customer journey, understanding the customer journey is absolutely critical for what we do from a digital innovation, digital experience perspective. I often seen this as very much short, sort of shorthanded when people think about the customer journey. We've talked about this before on the show, like sometimes the customer journey is not well thought out. Maybe it's a very linear journey, but true customer journey mapping is something that is an important discipline. It takes discipline and focus. And while everybody is responsible for the customer experience, they don't think about it in a holistic sense. So I think it's it's very timely for us to have this conversation, Reed. You know, we really wanted to touch on a couple of things here. And one is the idea within this kind of broader perspective of the consumer experience is, is journey mapping. And talk about it a fair amount. We share articles about it on the weekly email, the TPS report that we mentioned earlier. There's obviously probably a month, six weeks doesn't roll by that there's not some article in there about the journey. My question, though, is, is are people in and amongst their teams, something about the provider side of the house, predominantly hospitals, are people actually documenting the journey? Like if you walked into an organization, it's somewhere in the country, and said, okay, searching for and scheduling care, like show me what that looks like. Like don't talk to me about it. Is it actually documented somewhere of like what that consumer journey is? I don't know. We were talking about over-under earlier. I mean, what's the over-under on that? I would say that, yeah, it's, I think you're, you're thinking about a minority. Maybe 10% of organizations have really spent the time to, I think what you're th- envisioning is like a, a, an actual journey map kind of mapped out with all the technology, right. with the customer expectations along the way, you know, the different points, maybe in a visual sense stuck on a wall somewhere. I would say maybe about 10% of organizations are that sophisticated with uh, documenting it. But that's my guess. What's your over-under? I'm probably somewhere in the same ballpark. And and there may be, I would say it's probably close to 0% if we want to say holistically they've fleshed out everything. 
Right. Now, because again, maybe in my thought process too around some of this is when we talk about the consumer journey, we're probably more acutely talking about a specific inflection point of a journey. So like in that case, scheduling, but more specifically online scheduling or physician directories, right? We're kind of honing in on this one piece of the journey and then we're solving for that because we know it's a pain point. And it's easier to do that too, right? I mean, it's much more manageable. When you start to get into that, you know, I guess the assumption is, is that let's look at the online appointment scheduling journey, right? That's something that everybody tries to solve for. I think it's, it's, we, we kind of know it's an unmet need of our customers, of our patients. And so that's why they focus on that because they think it's a high risk, high reward journey to solve for. But to really understand, you know, the overall journey, I think you're right. Zero percent of organizations have really mapped out the intricate patient journey or customer journey across everything. And I think part of that is because it's so, so difficult to do. It is. And I think even conversations we're having internally is, gosh, I hate saying stuff like this. But anyway, not letting perfection be the enemy of good. It's just like, just start getting some information down on paper. Doesn't have to be perfect. I'm not saying we've even accounted for everything, but just start, you know, blocking out some of this, right? Because again, you're never really going to get done with this. It's going to be an evolution, right? right? And 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 so I think that's important. You know, where I wanted to start today, though, was this idea of the journey map. And so, found an article by by Nelson and Norman Group on seven ways to analyze a customer journey map. So again, this is under the assumption that you have a journey map and have somewhat filled it out. But I thought I wanted to kind of get your take and I wanted us to kind of talk through these seven kind of analyses, if you will, relative to the consumer journey. So again, just a level set, we're talking about a longitudinal in-order process to like accomplish a goal, as they put it here in the article. There's a lot of these online. There's a lot of templates, but they're talking about an order of a consideration phase. Then there's an exploration phase, then a comparison and testing and negotiate, right? I'm not saying that's exactly how it works for us in our worlds, but a longitudinal path nonetheless. Yeah, a journey, right? I mean, that's what it is, right? We'll put aside the fact that the customer journey sometimes isn't linear, but it definitely has a longitudinal sense. So I'm with you on this. The first of the seven points of analyses is to look, they say in here, to look for points in the journey where expectations are not met. Is that a good place to start? I think it is. But the challenge with that, Reed, my my first take on that is there are some times where users do indicate their expectations are not being met. And we could get that maybe in in some unsolicited feedback through, you know, HCAP studies or or maybe they do an online review. You could get some of that information. Or maybe you actually are specifically asking them if we're doing customer journey analysis. But there are a lot of places, a lot of gaps where their expectations are not being met, but you don't know about it because they're not telling you. So that requires a lot of richer, deeper analysis you know, kind of tie it together somehow. And there's different ways you could go about doing that. But I think that it's, it's a not a bad place to start. Well, they're talking here about, you know, putting yourself in the, in the user or the, you know, the customer's shoes, if you will, to understand, you know, kind of what they're thinking. And they're actually even talking here about a mental model 
basically people have expectations. The example they use in here is about a hotel. I'm not sure I've ever thought this, but anyway, when people pull up to a hotel, they expect a bellman to open the door. First off, do, are there bellmen? Is that still a thing? Like, I'm not even sure. <laughs> sure. I can't remember the last time I saw a bell <laughs> yeah. bellman. But, but because that's their expectation because that's what they've had happen before. So I think this is an interesting point, right? Which is expectations that are not being met. This is where you and I keep talking about, let's take online scheduling. They're comparing that against online scheduling, not in healthcare, just online scheduling. So again, looking for the points in the journey where the expectations aren't met, it's not really hard maybe to kind of figure that out or play that scenario out in your head. But I think it is an interesting, interesting place to, to start. Yeah. And if you don't have that data where those expectations are or not being met, uh, it's really important for you to, to figure out where you can get that information for sure. So the second one, and we have found this as you start documenting the longitudinal journey, like step by step, frame by frame, but is identifying any unnecessary touch points or interactions. That's probably pretty common, especially as we're talking about digital. This is where you get into how many clicks does it take to schedule an appointment? Mm, uh, yeah. Know, or like how yeah. many systems you have to go through? How many times you have to log in along the way? You know, these are some some things you could look at for sure to get there. One thing that I found to be very problematic and sometimes it's something to look at is there are touch points that are digital and there are touch points that are not digital in nature. And how do you map those together, right, in the overall experience? Because there is a lot of that unnecessariness that occurs and maybe the customer's expectations come through. They're like, every time I go into the doctor, why do they ask me the same seven questions and validate my, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so those are some things you have to kind of think about as you're you're looking at this. Yeah. So I think these are something that's interesting to identify, certainly. So as you're going through your journey and you're kind of blocking this stuff out, thinking through what could be removed, and it may be as simple as, to your point, there's too many clicks, right? So you wholly own that and you can remove a landing page, for example, if then they have to go from the landing page to your website, right, to schedule or something like that, you know, just skip the landing page and just take them straight to the, so there, there's that kind of stuff. It may not be quite that simple to your point, and it may be things that you have to bring up with operations uh, or people that own other parts of the business, like maybe contact centers or something like that. Third one on the list is identifying the low points or points of friction, they're talking here about taking a step back and looking at the whole journey. And so you should be able to see where the user experiences the most pain or friction. Uh, they say in here that these points are usually represented visually as dips in the journey diagram, again, depending on what template you're using. Where do things go down? I think this is interesting as it relates to, uh, let's say, you know, we want people to take some sort of a screening or something like that. We take them through all this, these pieces online, but then they have to pick up a phone and call or something like that. Like we can't, there, there's too much friction there in the sense that, or they are trying to schedule online and there's no appointment availability. And this is sometimes a little hard too, right? You really have to put yourself in the consumer mindset or the customer mindset because of this. 
They even call out the concept here of a peak end rule. Have you ever heard about that peak end rule? Mm-mm. It's a cognitive bias that impacts how people remember things that have happened in the past. Oh, yeah. And how it affects yeah. what, what their current experience is at as well. This is where when you start to do this analysis to try to understand what those low ends are, it could really have a bad impact on their overall impression of their experience with your organization. You have to really look at where these low ends are. Also, try to identify if these low ends occur frequently because that could be negatively impacting their overall impression of their experience with you, whatever that journey may be. Well, a good example of this that we used to talk about all the time, and I think this came from Studer Group, quite honestly, talking about patient experience, right? And, and to your point, the outcome, let's pick, a, uh, we'll pick a surgery, right? The outcome of the surgical procedure may have been super great. And you would think everybody'd be happy because that was the whole point. But yet, how they were communicated with, maybe the you know the the guy pushing them out in the wheelchair to the car. I mean, there's a number of ways you can ruin the overall experience. Yeah, right. Yeah. Kind of interesting. That's interesting. Well, let's do this, Reed. Let's take a quick pause, and then let's come back and let's let's tackle the remaining four of these seven interesting points that you're bringing up here. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front-row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Okay, Reed, we've been talking about ways to analyze the customer journey in a formalized way, right? Again, for these organizations that are starting to really formalize mapping out your customer journey, looking for points where expectations are not met. We talked about identifying unnecessary touch points and identifying low points. But there's four others here that are important as well. So let's talk about those. Yeah, so the the next one they mentioned, the fourth one is to pinpoint high friction channel transitions. And so they're talking here about the fact that many journeys take place across different devices or channels. You mentioned that a minute ago where it's not all digital, right? Like it may be some in-person. And so that's where a lot of the breakdown comes and the friction comes. You know, I mentioned a second ago, taking somebody through a bunch of, online experiences than requiring them to call a phone number, you know, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I mean, I, I think those are interesting things to circle, right. In the journey to say, Hey, here's where these handoffs happen. One, is there a different way to do this? Secondly, how well is this working if we do have to keep doing it this way? Yeah. And also think about this too, Reed. jumping channels, going from like social media or an email to a website, that's always a high friction transition. You have to make sure that it's seamless, right? Or clicking on an ad and going to a website. There's other ones they kind of point out here too, going from mobile to a laptop, for example, or starting a task and wanting to complete it on a different device. That gets really, really challenging to do. These transition points that kind of point out, you have to identify and figure out what you could solve for. 
The next on the list, I think, which is interesting, and I don't know that we spend as much time on this. And so, again, if you've started working on your journeys, like go back and really think through this, but time spent. So relative to the journey, each of those steps, how long do those stages take until they get to the next step of the journey? If there's a big gap because, you know, you don't have enough primary care physicians and it takes eight months to get an appointment. Well, one in and of itself, that's a problem. <laughs> so, you know, that, but nothing that you probably can solve for you yourself can solve for, but you need to document these things. But also thinking about, okay, if you're running a campaign for new movers to a market, well, realistically, how long does it take for them to evaluate what they're seeing and make a decision? The patience of customers is becoming more and more shortened by the immediacy of our digital environments. If you have to wait on a phone call for five minutes, doesn't that sound like forever now, Reed? Oh, yeah. We don't want to be on the phone for five minutes. We don't want to be waiting for a chat bot to respond. Yeah, I don't want to be on the phone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) At all. But like, so you have to also think about the measurement of time going from one stage of the journey to the next stage of the journey. That becomes really important for you to map out in your customer journey because that can be a friction point in and of itself. And the expectation, right? Kind of back to one of those first evaluation points. So anyway, next one, look for moments of truth. This is an interesting one. This is the way they kind of define this is like, are are there pieces of the journey or there parts of the journey that are so big that the entire journey hinges on this one decision or step or phase or, or what have you? I would say again, in searching and finding and scheduling care, it's the ability to actually schedule the care, you know, is a big one. So again, if you can get them to the website, if you can get them to the physician directory, if you can get them to click the button, but you don't have any inventory, like there's no appointment availability, that's a problem. Like that's, that's one of these moments of truth, right? Yeah, absolutely. Or in, in this case, in the case you described, the moment of untruth, right? Where they're right. suddenly like, right forget this, I'm going to go to CVS or I'm going to go to your competitor. And so these moments of truth become very important. And there's typically in a complex journey, there's typically, you know, a handful, three to four moments of truth to get them there. It's hard to kind of use that in a healthcare setting. So sometimes I use it as make or break. I I say make or break decisions. They need this in order to make the next step of the journey. And if you don't do it, you're breaking it. And then they could splinter off and leave your organization entirely. Last one, identify high points or points where expectations are met or exceeded. So this isn't all negative, right? It's not all just like, hey, let's all identify all the stuff going wrong. It's just as valuable to understand what, what's working, what's going right, what's delighting people, you know, that kind of thing. As you understand what the journey is, you'll also understand, uh, and again, that becomes part of the expectation too. And so if people can, you know, i.e., uh, schedule an appointment via a chat bot on your website, and that's super helpful, well, then that is a big win, and that needs to be part of the expectation going forward as you look at, uh, you know, if you think about primary care versus specialty care scheduling. If you've got it in primary care, then you've got to figure out how to solve for that on the specialty care side because that's going to become the expectation. There you go. That's the, the main point there, right? The minute you solve it and you have that high point where they're excited about it, 
you need to figure out how you can continue to replicate that high point for other journeys that you're doing. And so that becomes really, really important in order for you to scale in your innovation strategies, right? You want to scale now online appointment scheduling from primary care to specialty, move that forward in this experience as well, because whether you like it or not, the customers are bringing that to the experience. Reed, this is interesting. The seven points are really interesting, but there's a little bit more to the conversation that we want to talk about. Why don't we take another pause here? And then when you and I jump, come back, we can talk about how you can use customer journeys to maintain that competitive edge. Chris, to kind of round out this conversation, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to talk through the you know competitive edge, if you will, of really solving for the journey. We talked about ways to analyze, you know, the journey. Obviously, you have to kind of start putting that together and figuring out what it looks like and starting to analyze some of those things. But I found this article that, quite honestly, is pretty old at this point, old in this day and age. I mean, it still happened. Well, gosh, yeah, it's old. So (laughs) 2015, 2015 doesn't seem like that long ago in one respect, but it's you know, we're rounding the corner on a decade at this point. But anyway, it's from the Harvard Business Review and it's called Competing on Customer Journeys. Which we all need to do. Yeah. And there's one piece of this article specifically. We'll link to it. You're welcome to, to read through the whole thing. It has some stuff in here about the decision journey and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But there's this interesting piece where they kind of delve into these four key capabilities. And what they say is, is companies building the most effective journeys master four interconnected capabilities, each of which makes the journey stickier, more likely to draw in and permanently capture customers. And although these capabilities rely on sophisticated IT, they depend equally on, and this is the interesting part, they depend equally on creative design thinking and novel managerial approaches. Oh. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts and take on this as well of these four areas. Can we innovate on this? Can we lead here? You know, is this really a differentiator if we were to solve, you know, kind of against these four ideas? Okay, let's jump into it. Let's figure it out. What's the first one? First one's automation. Automation. So here's here's what they say. Automation involves the digitization and streamlining of steps in the journey that were formerly done manually. Consider the analog process of depositing a check. We used to require a trip to the bank or the ATM. Now you just basically take a picture. I'm summarizing here. Takes a picture of the check. You get to deposit via an app. Is that something, one, are we doing that? Are we taking what used to be manual and making it more of a digital or streamlined or even I'll call DIY process? Are we doing that? Yeah, I think a lot of transformation initiatives and and digital experience initiatives do focus a lot on self-service automation. I think Mm -hmm. the one we've been talking about at length in this podcast around online appointment scheduling is an example of that, right? In the olden days, you couldn't schedule an appointment without talking to someone or even showing up in person and bringing your paperwork and blah, 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 blah. We're working to try to automate that. So we should be, if we're doing it right, we should be using automation as a way to differentiate ourselves, particularly in this day and age when healthcare, the digital healthcare consumer is more and more excited about self-service. What's your thoughts of? The first thing that comes to mind for me is our, our CEO talks a lot about banning the clipboard, right? I think you mentioned earlier about you know, filling something out multiple times or, you know, all that kind of stuff. We've talked a lot about that, certainly. I think that's where this comes into play, right? We talked about scheduling, 
But then what about checking in for your appointment? What about filling out all the paperwork, obviously, even post-discharge around education materials, checking in with people about their pain and their medication adherence, things like that, right? Like we're, I, I do feel like we are doing these things. Are we doing them well? When I say we, I mean the industry, not, not my employer per se, because I do think we, my employer are doing some of this stuff well, but I, I'm thinking more of an industry I think we are trying to solve for a lot of these things, certainly. I think we are, but I think a lot of times we get distracted too, right? Like our friend of the show, Dean Browell, said at the last conference that he was at, he said, everybody's talking about generative AI. Can we just solve the fact that everybody needs online appointment scheduling? We have a ways to go in this space for sure. And it does run the risk of shiny object syndrome, to your point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But automation is one, right? Anything we could do to make it easier for people. We're in the age, day and age. And when this article was written, you know, almost 10 years ago, maybe they weren't thinking about it. But nowadays, we have automated a lot of the systems. Let's make that exposed to the patient, to the potential customer. That's right. And I think the generative AI piece will even help in that, right, with like we've talked about drafts and summaries and translation and things like that. So, all right, cool. Next one on the list, gosh, this could be its own episode. Is All these could be their own episode, I guess. But uh, the next one is proactive personalization. So what they say is, you know, building on the automation capabilities, companies should take information gleaned either from past interactions with the customer or from existing sources and use it to instantaneously, that's the key here, instantaneously customize the shopper's experience. Okay. So personalization. And by the way, we've done a lot of shows about privacy and security. Our last episode is about security, right? And privacy frameworks. And we have a problem with personalization in our space. That is, if you're outside of like something as protected as the patient portal, I would even argue that in the patient portal, we have problems with personalization. But what they're talking about is kind of instantaneous. Like I've I, I book, let's say I book an appointment with an orthopedic surgeon. It may say, hey, do you need to also do this? Or typically, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't think we do that at all. No, because the example they give is Amazon's recommendation engine, right? Yeah, I don't know that we're to a place. I'm not sure we want to be at a place, <laughs> I don't think, where you schedule something online and we're recommending other things you might be interested in. This is getting into that AI world too, right? About it, it is. Now, I will say though, here's what's interesting. Could you use this? I'm thinking about like I'm I'm talking to my doctor's office or a contact center, you know, at the hospital or something like that. If they have the quote unquote recommendation engine surfaced to them about who they're talking to, could they say, hey? We know you're also due for X. Could we go ahead and get you scheduled for that? Could we give you more information about that? You know, things like that, right? That's potentially interesting. I would like that to a certain extent. You know, if they say, hey, it's time for your annual physical. Can I just get you scheduled with the primary care doctor while we're talking about this, you know, appointment with the dermatologist or whatever? Totally all in. I think where, where it might jump the shark or get a little bit crazy is when the person says, oh, I also see you have a bill that's due. Would you like to settle that now? Then I'm like, wait, you went from one modality to another modality, and that might not be a good experience for me. 
Fair. That's fair. All right. Next thing on the list they've got is contextual interaction. So they say another key capability involves using knowledge about where the customer is in their journey, both physically or virtually, to draw them forward to the next interaction or the next step that you know we would want them to pursue. That's interesting. In the example here, they say an airline app may display your boarding pass as you enter the airport, or a retail site may tell you the status of a recent order the moment you land on their homepage. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you get to the airport, boom, the little thing pops up with you know your boarding pass, super handy, super helpful, right? Like that, I like that. I'd like that to continue to happen. What does that look like for us, though? I've heard of some organizations that have been experimenting with that, like using you know beacons to say, now you stepped into our building, and they can transmit to you, say, hey, looks like you're coming here for your appointment, you know, blah blah blah. They've they've done some of that region, you know, locality kind of thing with beacons. I also think about in this case, it takes a lot of trust within this environment, the healthcare environment, to be able to. Uh, have patients expect that or potential patients expect that, right? That they show up and suddenly something pops up on their phone. Particularly in the light of privacy and security, it seems like we're moving further and further away from this. However, there's this whole market, and we've we kind of get back to talking a little bit about CRM and next best actions and all this other stuff. There's this whole market about trying to understand people on their journey and developing ways to make it more efficient for them. And that's where this contextual interaction could occur. Propensity modeling builds into this. Understanding, you know, you're on this journey to make an appointment. Maybe you can direct them this way. So I think I would say that we're over under probably maybe about 20% of us in the market are thinking about this. One thing because of me is the surveying satisfaction patient experience part, right? You mentioned the beacons and it's like pinging people about how their registration was and how things are going and stuff like that. All sounds like a great idea. I worry a little bit about survey fatigue and just irritating people to death. I do think understanding where they are certainly will help figure out, you know, what do you do about the journey? What's the next step? How do you pull them forward? So it makes sense. Absolutely. All right. Last one. The fourth one is journey innovation, which seems broad, uh, but they say innovation. uh, The last of the four required capabilities occurs through ongoing experimentation and active analysis of the customer needs, technology services in order to look for opportunities. Ultimately, the goal is to identify new sources of value for the company and the, the customer. So, A-B testing, you know, is an easy something to point to that kind of fits in this world, I guess. But what comes to mind when you think about journey innovation? You know, as I think about that, one thing that's problematic for us, not many people have like you, Reed, someone that's dedicated to journey mapping and staying on top of the journey. Because remember, consumer expectations change all the time. Right. Imagine how that person, if properly aligned, they would have such knowledge about the consumer that they could maybe on a routine basis, quarterly or you know semi-annually, be able to come back to the service line people at your organizations or come back to the clinicians or to the operations people and say, hey, we're starting to notice we're going south in this particular metric. We need to start to address that because 
that would be very well powerful. Now, I know some organizations that have implemented intricate ways to kind of map length of time of patients and, and trying to understand as they map through the overall experience and being able to real-time intervene. Um, this person's been waiting in the ED too long. How do we intercede there? This is the journey innovation is the, probably the most difficult one of them all to do. It's like everything and nothing all at the same time, right? Like it, it really could just be whatever. And so I think the idea here is, well, how do you continue to your point, continue to look for kind of the optimization or betterment of the journey. And that kind of goes, I guess, really loops back around to the, the first thing we talked about today, which is the analysis piece of this, you know, running through all those analyses and in, in ways that we continue to evaluate how we're doing probably lends itself to then introducing innovation. Absolutely. Oh boy. Wow. As you go through this read, even though this was written about 10 years ago, it's still very pertinent today. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see as you start to formalize this customer journey mapping at your organization. And there are probably others that have done this already, you know, either internally or with their, their vendor partners We'd love to hear how like challenging this is, right, for you to do this, because I, I think this whole concept of everything and nothing all at once is the most problematic area of all of journey mapping, because there's so much opportunity here. With that, why don't we uh, take a brief last pause here, and then you and I will be back to close out the show. All right. Well, good episode, good topic, something that's just, I don't know, just been top of mind. And so would love, you know, any of you out there that are working through like little journey maps and journey mapping, uh, segmentation, persona development, you know, all that, that world, you know, we'd love to know kind of how you're thinking about things, how it's going, what you're learning. So reach out. We'd love to love to hear. And then certainly the TPS report. So touchpoint.health, sign up there. Great little additional resource each week. All right, Chris, let's uh, recommendations. What do you what do you got today? Reed, I'm going to recommend a web browser, one that you probably haven't heard of before, but one that I've recently started to use. Okay, and I only started to use it because you know Chrome came out recently with uh, its announcement that it's updated its browser, and you have to go in and you have to re-update all of your security tracking settings. Have you heard about this? They're, they're doubling down on the fact that they want to track everything that you do. Right. Chrome has been my default for a very long time. And I started to think about, I need a new browser. Now, of course, I have, I'm on Mac, so I have Safari. I also have Mozilla. I don't use Edge, but I could have Edge on my computer. Is there really a better browser out there? And a friend of ours, a friend of the show, Ed Bennett, said, have you thought of this browser called Arc? And I looked into it. Why is it different? And it really is a different type of browser, first of all. Uh, what I like about it is it's only available on Mac, by the way. It's very much in beta. First of all, the security and the privacy settings are way throttled down. It doesn't track you from website to website to website. Kind of yeah. like that, right? I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But moreover, it offers a lot of different things that, that to me are some things that make it feel like it's a whole new browser experience. First off, you don't have your tabs open across the top. I'm the type of person, by the way, that has like 50 browser tabs open, right? In this case, they kind of relegate your tabs to the left-hand side, and you can actually implement them as like, these are ones that I want you to run all the time, and these are ones that you're going to put in your your temporary queue. 
And what happens is, is the ones you want to run all your time, like your email, blah, 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 right? You want it to have a continually refreshing checking to see if you have new emails. Maybe you're running, uh, you know, applications or something like that. It's always running for you. But the ones that you don't want it to refresh all the time, they just leave them there until you revisit that site and refresh it. And you can even set time thresholds on that so that after 48 hours, if you don't go back to that website, it will just, that browser will go away. So that's kind of an interesting way to kind of manage the experience. Nice. The other thing is they have the ability where you can have multiple screens on in one browser experience. Let's say you're running things in parallel to each other and you want to be able to access them just by, you know, very quickly tabbing through them without switching over to a new tab. You can set up so you have four screens in one tab experience. The last thing they have is something called a boost, Read This is interesting. They actually have through their uh, development vendors, they have the ability where you could apply CSS scripting that goes across every website that's in the Arc browser. So let's say, for example, your eyesight's getting poor and you want to automatically increase the font size of everything. You could do that within this browser. And it's by simply dropping this little boost into your Arc experience. So anyway, nice. I find it really interesting. It gets you got to be really geeky with this. You know, I mean, who wants to recreate a browser? We're all used to the same old browser, but I have a lot of fun using it. And if you're on a Mac, I suggest you you uh, try it out. That's my recommendation this week. Nice, very practical. I like it. I'm gonna check it out. All right, I am recommending a Netflix series show called The Night Agent. Have you seen this? I've heard about this. I think it's somewhat recent, or I haven't noticed it promoted till here recently. Actually, it says it was released in March, so never mind. I'm I'm uh, behind the times, but it's really good. It's already been picked up for a season two. Season one's out. Um, it's about uh, an FBI agent who is working in the White House, answering a phone at night, basically, right? It's, it's kind of this like low-level job, you know, kind of a thing. And it's one of these deals where it's like, it's a phone that never rings. Well, it it rings while he's uh, manning it, and it plunges him into this conspiracy. And there's a mole at the White House scenario. And anyway, if you if you like kind of the Bourne series, you know, um, you know those types of movies, I, I think you'll like it. I, I think you'll like it. It's it's good. It's good. Jack Ryan, you know, those types of things. It's it's a similar genre, if you will. Uh, this kind of that conspiracy thriller action kind of movie. So the night agent. I'll yeah. Add that to my list. Yeah. I think it's 10 episodes. They're each 45 ish minutes long. So it's not, it's not super short 45 minutes to an hour, but I've been traveling enough lately that that's what I've watched on the plane. There you go. I'll have to check it out. All right, folks. Well, thanks for joining us for yet another week of Touchpoint. We certainly appreciate it and uh, appreciate the support. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.